0: Hey there! Welcome to episode 93 of the Authors Read podcast. I'm your host, Leah Ryan. Today's guest is Charles Lichtman, and he'll read from his book, The Sword of David. The Sword of David, a thriller by me, Charles Lichtman. Part 1, Chapter 1, Jerusalem, 2019. Excuse me, Miss Klein. "'I hate to impose, but may I please have your autograph?' asked a middle-aged woman who was holding out a piece of paper and a pen. "'Ma'am, I'm sorry. People come up to me all the time thinking I'm the woman who saved the president. I know I look like her, but it's not me,' replied the younger woman. "'Oh, I'm sorry,' the tourist said. "'Please forgive me.' "'Not a problem,' Deborah Klein replied. "'It happens a lot.' The woman turned and walked away. When she was out of earshot, her cousin, Chaim Klein, turned to Deborah and said, I can't believe you just did that. Deborah shrugged. I know it was rude, but you have no idea what I've gone through. After all these years, I still can't go out anywhere without people recognizing me and wanting to talk about it. Why do you think I wear these big sunglasses? Because it's a beautiful day in Jerusalem, Klein replied. "And That woman recognized you anyway. The cousins sat together sharing a meal at an outdoor pizza cafe in the modern Jewish quarter section of the old city of Jerusalem. Deborah observed that despite the heavy summer crowds, the pinkish bays Jerusalem stone sidewalks and the walls of the buildings were spotlessly clean. Positivity radiated from everyone around them with people laughing, dining together, couples holding hands and kids everywhere. Seriously, I have no privacy, she said without smiling. Even worse, on one hand, Congress recognized me as a hero, and on the other, I get death threats for befriending a terrorist. It's crazy. Fifteen years earlier, Deborah had unknowingly made friends in a college class at George Washington University with a young undercover Islamist terrorist who had slipped into Washington, D.C., His mission set in place by the infamous Carlos the Jackal was to kill U.S. President Tate and every dignitary present at a presidential inaugural ball at the Kennedy center. With seconds to spare, Deborah and CIA agent Norman Richards saved the day by preventing poisonous gas from filtering through the building's vents, which would have exterminated all the VIPs. To her dismay, Deborah became an instant celebrity, simultaneously praised by most for preventing the catastrophe while being condemned by some for her friendship with the terrorist, even though she didn't know about his terror connections until it was almost too late. Clyde pulled her in for a hug as his stomach twisted into a knot. Well, the family here is very proud of what you did on that inauguration day. Come, let's take a walk, he said as he led Deborah away. 25 years ago, when they were both 10, Deborah's family had visited Israel from Chicago, their hometown. Deborah and Klein instantly became playmates and stayed in touch from that time on. They had grown close, and over the years, they agreed they were more like a brother and sister than just cousins. Here they were now, celebrating 25 years of being sort of siblings. That's nice of you to say, but to me, it's your grandparents, Uncle Ehud, And the rest of your family who are the heroes, your stories about them are amazing. Auschwitz, the hospital, the wars, politics. I can't wait to see everyone tonight. What's it been, three years since all of us have gotten together? Klein thought with pride about his family. After surviving Auschwitz, his grandparents had made their way as teenagers to the promised land, then called Palestine, now called Israel. They met while fighting for their nation's survival in May 1948 and married after knowing each other only a month. Their three children, including Ehud, Klein's father, were part of the first generation of post-World War II sabras born in Israel. Klein's father, Ehud, met his future wife, Eliza, at Israel's renowned Hadassah Hospital, where she had nursed Ehud back from near death caused by serious wounds suffered in the 1973 Yom Kippur War. Even though they were quickly smitten with each other, Eliza turned down Ehud's marriage proposal twice before finally accepting her demurals just to show her future husband that despite his dominating personality, they would always be equals. And they were. As a career soldier, Ehud rose quickly up the ranks of the army, becoming one of the youngest generals in Israel's history. Eliza forged her own path as director of nursing at Hadassah Hospital. The couple somehow found time to have four children, including Chaim. Klein's older brother was a lawyer and member of the Knesset. One older sister was a doctor and the other was a respected activist and journalist. Chaim followed his father's path into the military. His expression turning serious, Klein said, My father and every other refugee in Sabra did what they had to after World War II by coming to Israel to make it a nation. We're not unique. You know that everyone here in Israel serves in the military when they turn 18. Israel's filled with heroes from from all generations who built this country, fighting for it with their blood over and over. What about you, Deborah asked. How many terrorists did you capture or kill when you were in the army? Last night at the dinner party with your army unit, your friend Benny said you saved a lot of lives and were the bravest of them all. And the rest of your friends agreed. Maybe I was just the craziest. But you know, I can't talk about that. Can't or won't. Both. I've told you that a million times, he said emphatically. Pointing ahead, Klein added, But how about this view of the Temple Mount? Does it get any better than this? The Cousins now stood between two buildings on a narrow sidewalk, gazing out at a full vista of the Western Wall Plaza and the Temple Mount. I come here every day for work. I've seen this view literally thousands of times, and I'm still in awe of it, Klein said. The history of the Temple Mount is remarkable. There is no place like it anywhere in the world. The Second Temple sat exactly where the Dome of the Rock is now, and the wall... Just underneath it is Judaism's most holy site. According to the Bible, the earth and Adam were created from the foundation stone, the big rock that's inside the dome. It's also where the Ark of the Covenant sat. Christians also revere this place. I mean, think about how many events in Jesus' life happened here, especially toward the end of it. And the dome of the rock is is Islam's third holiest site because Muhammad rode his winged horse Barak on his night flight to heaven from the foundation stone. I actually think the dome rightfully belongs to all three religions since the foundation stone sits within it. Maybe so, but the Temple Mount is also the center of many of the world's troubles, Deborah said. Klein stayed silent knowing she was right. Since you work inside, can we go into the Temple Mount And visit the dome? It's so beautiful, Deborah asked. About 80 yards away, the blue-tiled, golden dome shrine glistened, dominating the Jerusalem skyline. Klein shook his head. Nope, impossible. We could only walk around the Temple Mount on Sunday mornings, and since the Second Intifada, only Muslims are allowed inside the dome in the Al-Aqsa Mosque. But let's go down to the plaza so you can visit the wall. A couple of minutes later, when they had reached the security entrance to the Western Wall Plaza, Klein said, I know you want to see other parts of Jerusalem this trip, and not just the Jewish sites, but you can't go into the West Bank or Gaza. You can go into the East Jerusalem and, of course, the Old City, but I want to make sure you understand its layout so you can go exploring by yourself and not get lost. I actually want to do it myself so I can go my own pace. I remember, it's easy to get around the Muslim Quarter, and I understand it's still really safe, right? Yes, totally. Same with East Jerusalem, but stay on the commercial streets. The Palestinians who live in Jerusalem are nice, good people. Go into their cafes and shops, and you'll see they're very hospitable, especially Baidun, the antiquities dealer on Via de la Rosa. I have a lifelong friend. It's a Palestinian named Malik. He lives in a Muslim quarter too. Great guy. Maybe one day you'll meet him. But remember, if you shop in the market, everything is negotiable. Buying anything there is a game. As they entered the security checkpoint, the three soldiers on duty warmly greeted Klein. While walking through the metal detector, pointing behind him with his thumb, he said, That's my cousin Deborah. Tell everyone she's trouble and to watch her carefully. You never know what to expect from her." Deborah made a silly face at the soldiers who laughed. After she cleared security, the cousin stopped a few feet away at the top of a long flight of steps leading down into the Western Wall Plaza. A new prayer building was in construction adjacent to the steps with a white wall coordinating off from the plaza. Klein draped his left arm around his cousin as he had done by habit since they had met his children. Pointing straight ahead at the Western wall with his right arm, Klein said, isn't it crazy? That's my office. So how come you won't tell me what you actually do in there? Because I can't. Just like I'm telling you what I did it in the Army. He laughed and added, you never quit, do you? Well, your friends did tell me some amazing stories about you at dinner. Klein shook his head. They shouldn't have. I signed pledges to keep secret what I do here and what I did in the Army. Deborah grabbed his big bicep, looked into his warm brown eyes, and replied, No, it's good. Your words should count for something. Your integrity is one of the reasons you're my favorite cousin. It's certainly not your good looks or charm. Anyway, I'll let you redeem yourself, but only if you answer a serious question. In your visits to America, and on our phone and FaceTime calls, You've never told me how you got interested in archaeology to begin with. Klein tilted his head and smiled. On my eighth birthday, my father put me in the car and drove me to this big field out in the middle of nowhere, a place called the Ela Valley. We walked into the middle of the field and he said, Chaim, do you know what happened here? When I said no, he pointed at me and said in the most serious tone you can imagine, 3,000 years ago, this is where David slew Goliath. When he told me that story, he said my eyes opened up to the size of plums. We walked around for a while, then he leaned over and picked up a rock. He handed it to me and said, this is the rock David used in his slingshot. It's yours now. Klein paused and looked away wistfully. I was hooked on archaeology and history from that moment on. And you know what? I still have that rock. And to me, it will always be the rock that killed Goliath. Deborah said, I love that story. Okay, so let's go out of the wall. More than a thousand people were milling about the plaza, the spiritual and religious focal point for Jews in Jerusalem and worldwide. Deborah inclined leaned back against the construction wall to take it all in. A family from America who had come to celebrate their son's bar mitzvah at the wall was posing for family pictures. There's this one of about a dozen bar mitzvahs taking place at the wall this morning. Numerous Christian tourist groups also huddled around their tour guides, listening to lectures about the Temple Mount, where Jesus had driven out the money changers only days before his arrest and crucifixion by the Romans. Klein and Deborah laughed as a Hasidic rabbi rushed by them with his prayer book under his arm while screaming into his cell phone. Nearby on the steps, a family of six shared a picnic meal. In another direction, a number of Hasidic boys played some kind of handball game against a building adjacent to the wall. Not far from them were two men sitting on a ledge playing chess. A steady flow of young Israeli soldiers with assault rifles slung around their soldiers, their shoulders patrolled the group patrolled the plaza in groups, scouring the crowd for unusual activity. After about 10 minutes, Klein asked, "Did you bring a note for the wall or do you want to write one now?" Oh no, I put a lot of thought into it. Deborah retrieved a postcard sized paper from her purse and flashed it to Klein, showing that it was covered front and back with tidy print. Deborah said, "See?" God and I have a lot to talk about today. You think God has all day to read that? Do you think he even can read those tiny scribbles? Yes, as long as she wears glasses, she'll be able to read the note. They laughed, then Klein asked, so do you want to go say hello to your friend God? Aren't you coming with me? He shook his head. I'm here every day and besides, "'I'm not allowed in the women's prayer section. "'If I really want to speak with him or her, "'I have a private spot inside the Temple Mount "'where we have conversations. "'Now you he'll be happy to hear from "'because it's been a while since you were here last. "'Take as much time as you want. "'I'll be over by the entrance to the tunnel doors,' "'he said, pointing to double glass doors. "'The Western Wall Tunnel,' was one of the most significant archaeological expeditions in Israel. Comprising an excavated walkway running under the Western Wall and Temple Mount, just as it had existed 2,000 years earlier. The digging caused widespread Palestinian riots that had led to the First Intifada, which began in late 1987, and continued for nearly six years. After that, it was rumored But denied by the Israeli government that further excavations continued underneath where the temple second temple sat. Klein was now part of a small team whose job was to explore every inch of that space with a rubber hammer chisel and bucket and to keep his mouth shut about it. Deborah entered the women's prayer section at the wall double checking that she was dressed respectfully wearing an ankle-length white skirt A long-sleeved white top and a straw hat, with her brown ponytail dangling down her back, she realized that she was not only dressed appropriately, but that she also looked very American. Deborah slowly approached the wall, focusing on its casket-sized beige stones. As she drew nearer, moving with small steps, the wall seemed to magnetically pull her in close. When she was finally face to face with it, she rested her palm lightly on its surface. Deborah folded her note as small as possible, then examined the cracks in the wall, amazed at the innumerable personal messages to God. She then found a perfect spot to place her note in, put it in, and closed her eyes. She rested her forehead against the wall, took a deep breath, And slowly recited her prayer. A few minutes later, when she finished, her eyes still closed. She took a few measured breaths and started over, this time emphasizing every special request with a please. Tears streaming out of her eyes, she looked at the heavens and whispered, please God, please listen. Please help this world find peace for all people and all races and religions Simply accept each other? She closed her eyes again, took a few breaths, and began her prayers a third time. She drifted into a meditative trance as if she were floating away, not opening her eyes until minutes later. What had just happened to her was mystical and wonderful beyond anything she'd ever experienced or even thought possible. She had just achieved true inner peace while communicating with God. While turning away from the wall, Deborah noticed an elderly, frail woman in a wheelchair about ten feet away. Tears were pouring down the old woman's face. Deborah could feel the woman's pain as if it were her own. She walked up to the woman and knelt before her on one knee, gently taking the woman's hands in hers and looking deep into the old woman's eyes. Deborah gave her a gentle, reassuring smile and a compassionate nod. Neither said a word for over a minute. The old woman then reached over, pulled Deborah in close, and hugged her tight while she resumed her crying, her head resting on Deborah's shoulder. Deborah held on, patting her head and neck, comforting the woman with kind words. When they let go, Deborah slowly rose to her feet, bent over, and kissed the woman lightly on the forehead. The woman grabbed and squeezed Deborah's hands, and through a weak smile said, God bless you, my child. Shalom. Deborah walked back into the center of the plaza, heading toward the entrance to the tunnels where Klein was leaning against a wall, one hand in his pants pocket, the other pressing a cell phone against his ear. From about 50 feet away, they saw each other, and at the same time, Klein saluted her with a sweeping gesture. Just then, an Israeli soldier hurried by, smashing into Deborah, their eyes locked. She thought it odd that he didn't apologize for almost running her over especially since he was an IDF soldier. He backed away from her as Deborah frowned and said in Hebrew, you could say excuse me. He responded with a contemptuous stare. An instant later, he yelled, Allahu Akbar, God is great. Before anyone could react, the man reached inside his shirt, pulled out a hand grenade, removed the pin, and threw it into the men's prayer section of the wall. He again yelled out, Allahu Akbar, Sneered at Deborah, placed his hand over his heart, pushed down on his shirt pocket, and blew himself up. The two explosions happened within seconds of each other, reverberating off the wall with such magnitude that the noise echoed throughout the whole old city. The disguised terrorist had so much explosive material packed into his vest that his limbs and head were severed, his midsection was ripped open, and body parts were blown everywhere. Hundreds of nails and metal pallets that had been wrapped around his vest became deadly projectiles, flying in every direction. Pandemonium broke out on the Western Wall Plaza. Some people stood in shock, but most fled the scene, wildly screaming, some in fear, some in pain. Many frantically called out in search of their children, who'd had free reign to play about the plaza. A number of Hasidim protectively hugged Torahs, carrying them to safety. An older rabbi held a in one arm while bleeding profusely from the chest. He fell to one knee, gasping for air, trying to prevent the sacred scrolls from touching the ground. A teenage boy there to celebrate his bar mitzvah ran up and took the Torah from the rabbi's arms. As he did, the rabbi fell dead to the ground. Israel was accustomed to terrorist attacks, but it seemed inconceivable that even the most radical of terrorists would go so far as to attack the wall. Air raid sirens wailed, and with only a couple of minutes fully armed, Israeli soldiers poured into the plaza. Ambulance sirens approaching the Jewish quarter became louder and louder. Klein had witnessed the attack from across the plaza. He remained unscathed from the shrapnel, that left over 80 dead or wounded, including three people who had been standing near him. Klein sprinted through the chaos to find Deborah lying flat on her back. Blood oozed from her neck and chest, in which two nails were deeply lodged. Deborah's bright blue eyes had turned gray, and she stared blankly ahead. Her breathing was erratic and labored. Klein yanked out the two nails and pressed a hand on each wound, trying to stop the bleeding, but to no avail. Her blood seeped through his fingers, and he watched helplessly as her white top turned red. Deborah, Deborah, hold on, breathe. Look at me, stay with me. Tears welled up in Klein's eyes and over and over he yelled, breathe. He looked up to the skies and cried out, please God save her. Deborah lightly squeezed Klein's hand and whispered, don't worry cousin, everything will be okay. As the color drained from her face, she let go of his hand and closed her eyes, leaving behind a peaceful smile. I'd like to thank Charles for sharing his book with us today, and thank you for listening to the Authors Read podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for the link to the book. If you'd like to support the Authors Read podcast, please like, subscribe, or share. Until next time!